Hello and welcome back to Deviant Little Darlings. I'm Katie. And I'm Olivia. And if you love hearing stories about all things taboo, scandalous, and out of this world, you are in the right place. Okay, so instead of doing a QQOTD today, um, I have a fun little announcement. And Olivia, I haven't actually told you this yet, but um, for the last few days, you do know that I've been working on making two Deviant Little Darlings Instagram filters for us as kind of like a fun branding tool. I don't know. Olivia is the marketing person. Not really my thing, but I am like a creative person. So it's been super fun for me. And I submitted both of them for review. And as of two hours ago, one of them is officially live on our Instagram. Oh my gosh. That's so exciting. It's really exciting. So if you head over to our Instagram, it's at Deviant Little Darlings. You can check out our first filter on our profile if you go to like the effects filters tab on our profile. And um, hopefully the other one is coming in the next 10 days. But the first one is a fun like little Deviant Little Darlings rose on your cheek. Um, And honestly, I'll probably use it way more than anyone else. But Still really excited about it, so definitely check it out. Send us your filtered pics, you know. Yeah, this one, you guys, it's seriously so cute. Um, I did a little sample for it today to get the approval, and I had so much fun taking selfies and videos. I'm not a selfie person <laughs> at all, but I just took like 10 in a row because it just was so cute. Well, Olivia makes everything look good, so <laughs> you'll see. It's cute. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Well, thank you so much, Katie, for, first of all, for spearheading all of that. You say that you're not a marketing person, yet you're also <laughs> like leading the troops on that. Um, and thanks for keeping it a surprise. I'm so excited. Yeah. So we'll be probably using it a lot. Um, I'm really excited. So thank you for letting me do this, Olivia. <laughs> of course. And yeah, don't forget to tag us in any selfies that you take. Again, another plug. It's at deviant little darlings on instagram and maybe we'll yes. feature you back maybe we'll give you a little maybe a follow maybe a little shout out oh, yeah some dld love right back at you <laughs> <laughs> but yeah that's just my little announcement so i think olivia is kicking us off today if you want to go ahead okay yeah that was quick not doing a qqotd really uh, save some time I know, but I mean, next time, because obviously people are probably missing out on hearing about our really normal lives. (laughs) So last week, my story was a bit of a doozy, Um, and I had... It was so good. It was good, but the ending was sad, and I did have another, like, grim story lined up for today, Um, but then I decided last night that I wanted to do something a little bit lighter some may even say sweeter so (laughs) today i am going to be telling you about my favorite story i have ever learned in school it is the twinkie defense what okay so you haven't heard of this one katie I don't think so. Was this like a high school thing or a college thing? No. Okay. So back at the good old U of Dub, I took a class with our dear friend Rachel all about the fundamentals of business law. Oh. Yeah. Katie, you you should remember that that. class. because (laughs) I remember the class, but... Yes. You didn't take it, but it was quite possibly the worst class both I and Rachel took. 
(laughs) It sounded pretty terrible, but... It it was such a bad class. But one day, we were going over the different types of, like, legitimate defenses people can have in court. Um, And so it was all stuff like guilty, not guilty, people claiming the insanity defense. But one case took things to a whole new level. (gasps) So here it goes. This story is about a man named Dan White. He was born in Long Beach, California on September 2nd, 1946. He was a working class kind of tough Irish American guy who actually got expelled from junior high school for like a act of violence. So Uh-oh. yeah, a little bit of a rough streak, but it seems like he cleared up his act come high school and he ended up being the Woodrow Wilson High School valedictorian for his class. Why do I know that school name? Okay. I also thought I knew that school name, but I don't think there's anything around here that has that. Maybe it's just because, like, isn't, wasn't Woodrow Wilson, like, a high school, or the president? So maybe that's yeah. why. But I feel like Woodrow Wilson high I mean, this is in California. Show. I feel like it was on... Was it okay, the never school mind, but... from that 70s show? Let me see. It says that, um, Woodrow Wilson. Okay. It doesn't seem to have any idea what I'm talking (laughs) about, but it does say that Woodrow Wilson High School was the set for Fear of the Walking Dead. Oh, I've never seen that. But anyway, continue. Well, anyways. Okay. So he went to Woodrow Wilson High School and he was valedictorian. (laughs) After school, Dan enlisted in the U.S. Army in 1965 and fought in the Vietnam War from 1969 to 1970, until he was then honorably discharged in 1971. He then worked as a security guard in Alaska for about a year, but then returned to California as a San Francisco police officer. He claims he quit the police force after being, or he after he reported um, another officer was being very brutal and was like beating up someone who was in handcuffs Uh. um so he kind of like spoke out against the other officer left and joined the san francisco fire department instead okay so here um is where he's turned into what the newspapers called an all-american boy after he saved a woman and her baby from a burning apartment building After this, in 1977, Dan White was elected as the San Francisco Board of Supervisors for District 8. He had the support of the police force and the fire department unions. um, And with this kind of brief fame in the newspaper from saving that woman, his little district loved him. Now, according to Wikipedia, however, this district had very strong views against homosexuality, and Dan ran as a defender of their, this is a quote, actually, defender of their home, the family, and religious life against homosexuals, pot smokers, and cynics. Oh, no. Just a whole bunch of things he was against. Uh, And so that just kind of paints a picture of, like, what this guy was all about, what he valued. He had some very strong opinions of, like, what was right in American society. Okay. And so looking at this guy's life, he has some violence and brutal nature in his past, but he's been working to serve his country basically his whole life in one way or another. Like every job revolves around some kind of protection or America, you know. Right. Yeah. 
So while Dan was working on the board of directors, he also worked very closely with two other men, Harvey Milk, who was a San Francisco supervisor, and George Muscone, I think that's how you pronounce it, the mayor of San Francisco. So people claim that at first, Dan and Harvey Milk uh, worked very well together and were even close personal friends. And at this time, the city did not allow people to have two um, city jobs at the same time. So White decided to resign from his higher paying fire department job to work as the um, board of supervisors. Interesting choice. All right. (laughs) Yes. So he was like super passionate about this. Now, during White's time on the board, they were almost evenly split between having a pro-growth, a.k.a. business-oriented approach, um, which is what White supported, and a neighborhood-oriented approach, which is what Mayor Muscone supported, as well as five other board members, including Harvey Milk. So this is kind of like today's opposing views of conservative versus liberal, um, and Dan was on the more conservative side, while Harvey Milk and Mayor Muscone were on the more liberal side. Um, But Dan White had some clear issues with both of these men, and sometimes while in debates, White was reported really going at it with these two. So, tensions begin between these men continue to rise as Milk and White often oppose each other on the board. Also, I just love that their names are Milk and White because it's like... (laughs) <laughs> I know. And picturing a glass of white milk. I just want to dip your cookies in it. Exactly. But in 1978, when Mayor Moscone proposed that San Francisco's gay rights ordinance, White was the only member on the board who opposed it. This ordinance was obviously passed, despite White's efforts to stop it. And this really kind of pushed him over the edge. Because if you think, like, his entire platform was, you know anti-homosexuality and obviously the city of san San francisco is really progressive and this was the popular opinion but he was just like the total outsider and (laughs) with anger issues so that's kind of a bad you know little recipe i was gonna say he should probably just move because san francisco is one of the most like progressive places i can think of yeah (laughs) totally so obviously every politician has to deal with other politicians who don't agree or are fighting things that they don't believe in because that's literally what politics is. Yeah, that's in the job description. <laughs> yes, that's the whole point of it. But on November 10th, 1978, Dan White resigned from the board of directors. At this point, he was unhappy with the decisions made by the city. and He was also in some financial problems after quitting the higher paying fire department job. Uh-oh. So, not great. Um, and... You know, this guy was kind of a pain in the butt, so Mayor Muscone wasted no time and filled White's previous position with a more liberal candidate, tipping the balance of the political views on the board more towards the neighborhood-oriented side. Makes sense. Yeah. Well, this made White and his supporters really mad um, because it seemed like the mayor was trying to take over the board and, and add more people on their side just to get more things passed, which, I mean probably was what he's doing but yeah if (laughs) if that's how it works why wouldn't he (laughs) um white ended up trying to rescind his resignation because of this Um, but the deed was done and the enemies that white made throughout his career wouldn't let that happen so both harvey milk and mayor muscone and other liberal city leaders all lobbied to stop white from getting his seat back 
Yeah. <laughs> and like I said earlier, yeah, it to me, it sounds like Dan White was just a total pain in everyone's butt from the beginning. Regardless of how their views differed, White was pretty hostile and argumentative to people on the board. And I understand why Milk and Moscone would not want him to come back. Plus, he left voluntarily, so it's not like anyone necessarily drove him away. He was the only one who made that decision. Right. Um, <laughs> yeah, so if he can't handle the heat, got to get out of the kitchen or out of City Hall. <laughs> Ooh, burn. <laughs> well, all of this tension would come bubbling up on November 27th, 1978, the same day that Mayor George Moscone was set to appoint his replacement for White, and chaos broke out. On that day... Dan White asked his friend to drop him off at the San Francisco City Hall for an errand. Since he had worked there for so long, this wasn't really an unusual request, and his friend just took him willingly. What he didn't know was that White was carrying a 38 caliber service revolver from his days as a police officer, which... Oh, no. Side note, aren't they supposed to take those back? Like, Yeah, hello? I'm feeling a little confused <laughs> about that. <laughs> Um, and it was also loaded with hollow point bullets and had 10 extra rounds of ammo in his pocket. So that's kind of a lot of stuff. Yeah, some bad intentions here. Interesting you would say that. That will come up later. <laughs> so oh. White snuck into the city hall through the first floor window to avoid metal detectors and waited outside of Mayor Moscone's office. The mayor was in a meeting, and White waited patiently for his guest to leave. Once he left, once the guest left through one door, White entered Moscone's office through another door and requested once more that he be reassigned <laughs> to his seat on the board. Of course, Moscone refused, and the two men started shouting. But to avoid a scene, Moscone suggested that they take the conversation to the room next door. But once they got there, Moscone lit a cigarette and um, poured two drinks for the men. White pulled out the revolver and shot Moscone multiple times in the chest and fatally twice in the head, one time oh. from only six inches away. Oh, gosh. Yeah. So just like point blank, the door closed, shot him a bunch, and then basically final kill shot to the head. Not good. Mm-hmm. yeah and you might be wondering not good how did he do this in the middle of city hall in like this public building well from just outside the room white's gunshots sounded like nothing more than car backfires so he reloaded the how? revolver no idea this must not have been a great rev i don't know what guns were like in the 19s they went the wikipedia <laughs> page went into so much detail about this particular type of gun and I just okay. skipped all of that. <laughs> That's super so, fair. There's probably some reasons, but I don't care about them. Yeah. Um. So he reloaded the revolver and headed towards his former office where he ran into none other than Harvey Milk. White pulls Milk aside, blocks him in a room, and opens fire on Milk also. Ugh. White shot Milk five times, the first three hitting him... Um, as he was trying to like fight for his life. So it was one in the wrist, uh, some in the chest. But then the fourth bullet went straight to the head, which killed him. And the fifth bullet again was shot at Milk's head from close range. So again, boom, boom, boom. And then like right up to the head, shot him again. So he like has some issues. Like I feel like, you know, you have some issues when you shoot someone after you already 
like got your kill yes. shot like he's already down he's already dead he's been shot four times and you're still going for more mm-hmm. not cool so that's alarming it's quite alarming um what's even more alarming is that white was able to flee city hall uninterrupted uh and just walked straight out that didn't necessarily last long though because once they you know discovered the bodies and everyone was dead they announced that there had been this assassination and everyone was like well yeah we saw dan white enter their office like both of their offices so right it and everyone a, knows who he is yeah, ex- yeah exactly it was the middle of the day um so it was announced that he was the primary suspect um and white ultimately turned himself in and when he turned himself in he did confess to the killings like there was no question about it but he hmm. claimed that there was no premeditation involved um <laughs> which is that... like what <laughs> Something doesn't add up there, but that's okay. Yeah, especially remember your little comment you said earlier that's like, oh, he... Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But no, no premeditation involved. Interesting claim that. So, I know this has been kind of long and weirdly political, but it, this is where it gets interesting. Because now we are at the trial that made this case so infamous. So, during his trial, Ooh. Dan White was charged with first-degree murder with special circumstance, which could have potentially led to a death penalty in san francisco at this time so this is very serious crime yeah but white's defense team wasn't going to let that happen his team presented the argument that dan was clearly very depressed at the time of these murders you know from the whole like job and financial problem thing that everyone else has to go through (laughs) (laughs) nothing that crazy that's that's life but. that's yeah basically they're like "Ooh, life got him down so you know so he brutally murdered exactly people. but they yeah. even brought out a psychiatrist martin blinder who testified that many of dan's behaviors had changed leading up to um that incident that indicated his depression so this included quitting his job growing distant from his wife having a disheveled appearance when he's normally a very clean-cut-looking military guy. But most importantly, Blinders pointed out that before, White was a fitness fanatic and a health food advocate. But during this time, Dan had stopped working out, and he started eating junk foods like soda and, dare I say, Twinkies. Oh, God, that's such bad publicity for Twinkies. <laughs> uh, or great publicity, because now I'm kind of craving one. Like, mm. <laughs> <laughs> um, So I don't know about you guys, but I don't think eating a Twinkie should be a sign for depression, because... Yeah, called out, exposed. <laughs> yeah, and it certainly should not be an excuse for murdering someone. Um, no. But this defense got even more creative with it. So, Blinder mentioned that these changes in behavior and food habits could potentially worsen White's new mood swings and send him into a deeper depression. Huh. All right. So, like, the sugar and the change in diet and all that kind of stuff. Well, then another psychiatrist suggested that White was in a mad state and on autopilot during the murders. So, these two testimonies kind of got combined in people's minds And it gave off the idea that the defense was claiming that Dan White ate so many Twinkies that he went into (laughs) a sugar-induced craze and killing spree 
causing temporary insanity. Oh my god. <laughs> so that's All right. that's kind of like what the um reporters picked up out of this. They're like sitting in court and they're like, you know, typing away like uh-huh, uh-huh. And then they're like, "Wait, did you just say Twinkies? Did you just say <laughs> like Twinkies are the cause of this murder?" Yeah, so that's what they started reporting. Um and I want to confirm that the defense did not actually make those claims. It was just the testimonies got combined in their heads. And so people started reporting this, calling it the Twinkie defense. Oh, my God. (laughs) But of course, this kind of defense would never work in court, right? I mean, you can't just tell the judge that this man who brought a gun into a courthouse, snuck through the window to avoid metal detectors, waited outside of the victim's offices until they were alone, and then proceeded to shoot both men multiple times until they finished them off with a close-range headshot can excuse all of this because he was feeling bummed and ate a couple Twinkies. Yeah, something doesn't add up there. (laughs) Well, the defense argued that similarly to eating all the Twinkies, these killings were simply a symptom of White's depression and that he could not have had the mental capacity for premeditated murder. And it worked. You're kidding. The verdict came out as a much lesser crime of just voluntary manslaughter. Okay. And White was only sentenced to seven years of Soldad State Prison. Only seven years. mm, Okay. That's disappointing, (laughs) but... It's pretty bad. That's a, like, you know. Yeah. None of that really makes any sense. And, And it's not only like he's killing... Okay, no matter who you kill, it's terrible and it's all equally bad. But he literally assassinated the mayor of this town. Right. And the judge is just kind of like, "Mm, well, like, I get it. You were sad. Like, this (laughs) didn't work. Like, these are the people that drove him basically to quitting his job. Like, it's not a coincidence. No. And all of those lawyers. Yeah, exactly. Because all of those acts combined, I feel like, point to premeditation like i think the biggest part is sneaking through the window to not get the metal detectors because Mm -hmm. like if he was in this absolute rage like didn't know right from wrong like he would just like burst in there and you know start going crazy but he had the mental capacity to think it through avoid detection and and like like i hate using this word for this but it was like thoughtful like he he planned it he went into the room no one else was there yeah every killed them it was methodical every point of the way yeah so on the night of white's conviction one of the first openly gay elected officials in the u.s who served on san francisco's board of supervisors led a series of events to speak out against the ruling um and if you remember this you know White was super against homosexuality and against all those bill or ordinances being passed. Um, and San Francisco's gay community was outraged by the leniency of White's conviction after the gruesome assassination of public officials. So a series of riots occurred on the night of May 21st, 1979. And this was the largest public and vi- most violent reaction by gay Americans since the 1969 Stonewall riots. Wow. So this started out as just a peaceful march and it turned violent pretty quickly. Um, And especially because the fact that White had been formerly a police officer and a fireman led protesters to kind of fight back even harder against the police department and riot control who was 
you know, provoking them. Yeah. So the police also took this as an opportunity to raid gay bars in the area, which, of course, exasperated protesters and the gay community. (laughs) Oh, that's bad news. These are called the White Night Riots. So it's the night that White got convicted. Mm. Clever. Ultimately, White only served five of the seven years um, at and it's because the California state corrections officials were worried that White would be murdered by his inmates after such a famous and controversial crime. So huh. even the criminals in jail were like, this guy sucks. He's the worst. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, understandably. So but... they just like let him go. And he served one year of parole in L.A., but then planned to return to San Francisco when the mayor at the time, Diane Feistein, issued a public announcement asking White to never come back. Mm-hmm. Seems reasonable. Yes. Uh, but he did come back, and only two after, or sorry, two years after his prison sentence ended on October 21st, 1985, Dan White died by suicide of carbon monoxide poisoning in his garage. So that mm. is the story of the Twinkie defense and White Knight riots. Oh my gosh. And it's absolutely nutso. That is not so. There's just like so many like moving pieces to this story. Like yeah. when you said the Twinkie thing, I was like, what is this going to be <laughs> about? But hey, you got me. It's that was a good one. It's fun one to research. Okay, it took me way longer than I expected because if you just look up the Twinkie defense, it just tells you about like the court case and then the reportings that people thought that it meant and kind of the controversy of that. But then if you look into Dan White's life, then you find all of his like the political issues and things that led up to the murders. And then if you look into the aftermath of the trial, then you find the whole white nights riots and it just spirals in so many different directions. And it's all because he was depressed (laughs) and stopped eating salad and started eating Twinkies and also murdering people but you know mostly the twinkies it's like a commercial for dieting like don't (laughs) eat twinkies eat your salads or you'll murder people but now i really am craving twinkies and i want to eat them just to prove that you can be eating twinkies and not a crazy psychopath murdering people when was the last time you had a twinkie oh i like probably many many years ago but yeah. not, not like I, like sometime in college, I feel like I had to have had one. Really? I had to I have. like have no idea. Like I've definitely had a Twinkie before, but I couldn't ever like, I don't have like any specific memories of eating them. No, I don't either. But I do know for a fact, if someone offered me a Twinkie, I would never say <laughs> no. So I just feel like That's statistically, fair. I had to have encountered one at least in the last five years. I feel like that's pretty reasonable. Maybe they're like someone put one on like our free table in the kitchen. Exactly. And, uh, you eat you such weird stuff one. in college. You don't remember. It's like. That is so true. Yeah. <laughs> there, Throw a couple Twinkies in there. You'll never know. Exactly. <laughs> well, yeah. We've had Twinkies at some point in our life and look how great look we how turned great out. We turned right? out. We're fine. Everything's, Everything's fine. Okay. <laughs> All right, man. Well, well, do you want to go into your story today? I didn't even look at the tracker, so I don't even have like a clue of what this could be. Well, funny because I didn't actually have a clue of what it would be until like 2 p.m. today. So (laughs) it's fine. Um, 
And I'm actually really stoked about this because I was telling Olivia off the air that I like spent like the entire afternoon like really getting into this. And I didn't think it was going to be the kind of thing that I got so sucked into, but I did. And I just want to say it's not like traditionally deviant. Like there's not a serial killer. There's no missing hikers, but it is kind of a juicy conspiracy theory slash hoax story um, that I haven't been able to stop thinking about since my dad brought it up. Okay. So. I like these ones. I feel like these are deviant. Okay. I don't know what it is, but if it's well, conspiracy-esque, it, that's still pretty deviant. Okay. So like, I agree. When I first heard it, okay, because I think when you hear who it's about, mm-hmm. you're going to be like, hmm, but it, it gets, it gets pretty interesting. So I'm excited. Okay. Okay. So do you know, okay, it's not about this, but you know that one conspiracy theory that Avril Lavigne died and was like replaced? Yes. Okay. So that is what immediately came to my mind when my dad brought this up because that's, I don't know, that's the only thing I could relate it to. The same thing that happened to Avril Lavigne in 2003 happened in 1969, but with Paul McCartney of the Beatles. What? So I feel like a lot of people will probably know this um, or you've heard of like some conspiracies surrounding the Beatles. Like, you know, when you play some songs backwards, there are like hidden messages. And we kind of touched on this last episode with the whole UFO thing, but it's totally a sign of the times. Like 60s, 70s, people were just down for conspiracies and government mistrust, obviously. And I had a quote from a Vulture article about this whole conspiracy thing that kind of sums up the mindset behind this. Um, Quote, in the pre-internet area, especially delectable were those theories about people who hadn't, as far as the public knew, actually died, but whom the paranoid suspected had in fact died, probably quite suddenly only to be haphazardly replaced by the people around him or her who didn't want to lose their cash flow source. Consider, for instance, Paul is dead. This subcategory of conspiracy theory suggested a particular worldview. Stars were special people with special skills who had won special attention from the public that could nevertheless be maintained by special post-death stagecraft. So, the Paul is dead paranoia is considered one of the, like, greatest pop culture conspiracies in history and also the most legendary hoax in music history. So it's a big deal is the moral of the story. How have I never heard of this? Okay, I hadn't either. But then you get into like this research and it's kind of insane. So let me just get into it. And I'm going to be paraphrasing a lot of this from an article um, from musicaholics.com. It was really comprehensive. It was one of those like click through things that you have to like keep clicking to get all the information. So Mm -hmm. Spent a lot of time on it. Um, But the theory basically is that Paul McCartney, you know, of guitar and bass playing fame, died in 1966 and was replaced by a lookalike. So, I mean, everyone knows the Beatles, but I'll just do like a quick little crash course in case you don't. So there were four band members, John Lennon, George Harrison, Ringo Starr, and Paul McCartney. They were British, obviously, legendary musicians, and you know the rest, I hope. So... On November 9th, 1966, apparently the four of them got into a fight while they were while they were recording. And with a dramatic flare, Paul McCartney got in his car and raced away. Now, our conspirators believe that he tragically lost control of his car and died, but that he was quickly replaced in the band before anybody could question it. 
So why? There are two theories here. The first is that uh, UK security services were concerned that Paul's death would incite like just mass hysteria and could even lead to mass suicide. And if you think this is dramatic, clearly you didn't stand One Direction like I did in 2014. <laughs> like, we thought Zayn leaving the band was a lot to handle, but can you imagine the reaction if one of them died? <laughs> um, okay, this, I just, this makes sense to me, but also so many celebrities died. Like, if 2016 happened and all of those celebrities died and no one covered it up, that's kind of rude. Like, if they would do it for <laughs> some, but <Okay>. not all. <laughs> You're right. But that kind of leads to the other theory, which is that their record label was concerned that losing a member of the band would be like bad news for their future, especially while they were riding on like such a high, like it was like the peak of their career. They were just getting started. So they were like, we have to keep this super hush hush because, you know, we don't want to lose this revenue, I guess. We don't want to lose this success. So how do people think that they pulled this off? Coincidentally, because they were so famous, there were a bunch of lookalike contests that happened all the time. And a Canadian man named Billy Shears had just won a Paul McCartney lookalike competition. So rumor has it, on top of like the resemblance already, Shears then got plastic surgery and was taught how to sing and act like Paul would have. Billy's introduction to the band came at the perfect time because their image and sound was changing, so any suspicions would just be attributed to, like, the evolution of the band. Mm. So it was really, like, perfect timing to replace somebody in your band, I guess. So not to debunk this, because I totally believe you, but (laughs) um, did this guy, like, is there any report of him actually living his life as himself from that point on? I will mention this later, but I might as well just tell you now, no. So, like, there's no record of him after the lookalike contest. Okay. Hmm. So, that, you know, leads to suspicion there. Um, But, you know, maybe he just, like, was tired of the spotlight and was like, gonna go live my life on a farm. Yeah. Exactly. I look way too much like... to really say? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Like, the fans. (laughs) Um... (laughs) But at this point, it was kind of this whole, like, Paul is dead thing was just kind of a story that people, like, whispered about, you know, like, big in colleges. Um, it wasn't, like, huge yet until a college student took it upon himself to do a bunch of digging into it and published an article in his school's paper detailing all of the, quote, clues that revealed Paul's death in, like, their albums and the photographs, specifically from their Sgt. Pepper album and their Magical Mystery Tour album. And... Let me, just from reading his article, some of those include um, on the Sgt. Pepper album cover, there's like a hand raised over Paul's head that people suggest is an ancient death symbol. And there's also a left-handed guitar lying on a grave at the group's feet. And Paul was left-handed. He played the guitar. So people think that's pretty damning. And then there, he also details some of the spooky like backwards playing that people would do. So in Revolution number nine, when played backwards, apparently you can hear the words, turn me on, dead man, and cherish the dead. You can also supposedly hear a car crash sound effect. So I don't know. Pretty spooky, I guess. Okay. I have a few things to say. First of all. Yes, please. (laughs) I love how conspiracy people or people who look into things, like they can dig super deep and find connections of like this ancient symbolic thing from this one <laughs> culture. 
but then they put all them together and they're all these like mixed match little weird things who do they really think that whoever's writing this album is like okay and now we're going to use this <laughs> you know specific ancient symbol from this culture on this image and like are they really going into that in depth with this right. whole you know hidden stuff second thing i have to say so that's the question isn't dead backwards still dead so if they <laughs> so if you play the album yeah. backwards would they have to have been saying dead forwards <laughs> so that's a great question i think what so what it's supposed to be saying when it's played forwards is like number nine i think like repeated so like number nine if i'm looking at the words dead man and i try to say it backwards did that sound like number nine (laughs) i don't know i haven't actually listened to it today because that felt like do it in a british accent then maybe that'll be better number i don't know oh maybe (laughs) so um yeah it's kind of that's the thing like who would intentionally place these things We'll get into it a little bit. Well, we would. So you should listen to this episode backwards and as a whole hidden message. Exactly. It's really a special thing we do in all our episodes. So and that filter that we have has some symbolic clues. You just have to figure out which ancient civilization they came from. (laughs) Yeah. So work on that. First person to guess it gets a special prize. Um so this same article goes into some more detail and um if I don't post it on our Instagram, I'll maybe post it on our story or something or look it up because it's a super interesting read. But this article is kind of what sparked the paranoia about McCartney's death. So this website that I was looking at, Music Musicaholics, said that the band's record label was receiving 3,000 calls a day asking about Paul's health. And apparently Paul himself wouldn't actually comment on the story because he thought the rumors would just die down. But when the story was published in magazines and newspapers, the public just took it as fact because there was no like Google for them to actually confirm or deny. You know, they just had to take the word of whoever was writing. So it got to the point that Paul agreed to do an interview for Life magazine where he and his young family graced the cover. And while this satisfied like the regular people, this did not stop the skeptics. They believed that it was good old Billy Shears still posing as McCartney. And the thing that makes it so damning, I mentioned this already, is that there's really no information about Billy after the lookalike contest. Like, it really seems like he just disappeared. Although it doesn't really seem like there was much information about him before the contest either. (laughs) I mean, you could say that about anybody from the 60s who didn't have social media. Like, they're not going to be in the newspapers or, like, reported on. But maybe, like... I mean, I guess in theory he might not be dead yet, but like, you know, maybe there would be like like an an obituary obituary or like, Mm. I don't know. Or like, you know, I mean, I guess like if I didn't have social media, you wouldn't like know anything about me. Like I'm not in the newspaper, you know? Yeah, we're not that special. (sighs) Unfortunately, maybe I'll write to the newspaper. We just have our own podcast, but you know. Yeah, I'll be like, (laughs) you should really cover this podcast. I don't know who the girls are, but it's pretty (laughs) pretty cool. (laughs) Um, So apparently... Uh, people believe the Beatles felt so guilty for covering up Paul's death that they hid clues in their albums to like assuage their guilt. And in addition to some of the clues I mentioned from that original article, I'm going to share some of the other ones that kind of caught my eye. So here's one that's, I feel like it's kind of hard to explain and you really have to look at the picture. 
but if you hold a mirror up to their Sgt. Pepper album cover, or if you like mirror the image digitally, the bass drum, which usually reads like lonely hearts right through the middle, shows what people interpret like when you, so you mirror the word lonely hearts on Mm -hmm. the drum. And it looks like you can see the number one and then the word one like spelled out. So people think, you know, number 11, two ones, which stands for the 11th month, November. And the next thing you see is the Roman numeral for nine. So we've got November 9th, which is the day of Paul's supposed accident. And then on the next part where like the word hearts would be, you can kind of like someone like has traced it out. So it kind of like helps you see it. Um, But if you look at it, it kind of looks like the words he die. So it says November 9th, he die. So people think that one's pretty clear. I don't know. Hmm. Um, And then another potential clue on the same album, there's like a weird little doll. Like this is like the album cover picture. There's a doll kind of hidden amongst all the chaos with blood on her. And next to her is a bloody driving glove. And on top of like balanced on her leg is a toy car. So people think that one also points to this car accident that killed Paul. That one's like a little bit more blatant because it's clearly a car and a glove and stuff. But mm-hmm. if I were the Beatles, I would start putting this like little symbols and stuff in into <laughs> all of our their album art because first of all, the people would like buy more of it because they want to look for the clues. Mm-hmm. It would go popular, exactly. like go crazy on the newspapers, I guess, because that's all they had. Uh-huh. Uh, <laughs> like go yeah. viral, but you know, not viral. But you know, before viral was a thing. Yeah. <laughs> um, and in a photo of the band from the same album. Paul is wearing like a patch on his shoulder that says OPD, like the letters OPD. And people believe it stands for officially pronounced dead, which I guess is like a version of like dead on arrival, like that kind of acronym, which is, and he's like the only one with like a patch with anything that reads anything on it. So kind of interesting. And then on the back of the album, there's another photo of the band and they're all looking at the camera, except for Paul, whose back is to us. And George's finger is pointing, because there's like lyrics on the back of the album cover. It's pointing at a lyric from the song, She's Leaving Home, and it reads, Wednesday morning at 5 a.m. is this lyric that he's pointing at. And the weird part is that November 9th did fall on a Wednesday, and 5 p.m. was the supposed time of Paul's death. So that one, people are Mm. like, they're trying to, you know, reveal this to us. You know the drill. And then... At the end of the song, with a little help from my friends, people believe you can hear the band singing Billy Shears, which would be pretty blatant, but again, I didn't listen to it, so I can't tell you my personal opinion. Um, And then, just going to keep going here, in a photo from their Magical Mystery Tour album, all of the Beatles are wearing like white suits and they have roses on their lapels, but Paul's is black instead of red. The other three are red and his is black. So people think this is another nod to his death. That is kind of weird. Mm-hmm. Like singling him out. But then again, I would do it on purpose if I were them. Like just right? for fun. Like just to mess with people? Yeah, why not? And then another one, if you play I Am a Walrus backwards, you can apparently hear people repeating, Paul's dead, haha. And I guess people have looked into it, kind of like you were saying, and a walrus symbolizes death in, like, some European folklore? Question mark there. Okay. Kind of pushing it. That's, that's a new one. <laughs> yeah, I know. Um, and, but on that same note, so, like, different perspective on that, 
People think that the walrus alludes to a Lewis Carroll character who was known for being an imposter. And in the track Glass Onion, the lyrics go, I told you about the walrus and me. Man, you know we're as close as can be. Man. Well, here's another clue for you all. The walrus was Paul. They said that? Mm-hmm. That is a lyric. The Ooh. walrus was Paul. So that's why I think people started to like dig into this whole walrus thing. Um, kind of interesting. Very specific detail there. Did they ever reveal like what they meant? So no. I mean, not as far as I know. Yeah. But the thing is at this time, the Beatles had all these really kind of out there songs like mm-hmm. their management wanted love songs and they were like haha no like here are all these like random things groovy so songs, it's like yeah was it like drugs or was it like a clue <laughs> i don't know i think they were probably on drugs plus <laughs> trying to mess with everybody and everyone exactly. else was also on drugs so then it amplified because of all that is the drugs. so true <laughs> there was just a <laughs> lot of drug consumption here um and then in their famous abbey road photo you know the one where they're walking across the street very famous there are some serious potential clues here as well so apparently they're all walking away for, away from a cemetery as if it was paul's funeral So John is walking ahead of the group and he's dressed in all white and he's got like long hair. So people are like almost like a Jesus figure. And then the next Mm -hmm. person in line is Ringo wearing all black uh, dressed as perhaps a funeral director. Then there's Paul who is walking out of step. All of them have like one foot forward and Paul has the opposite foot forward and he's barefoot like people have attributed this to a corpse. Although I don't know why because I'm pretty sure you wear shoes when you get buried but Mm -hmm. not sure and then george is last and he's wearing a canadian tuxedo you know all jean which was apparently to allude to a grave digger you know like more like working clothes the vibes it also just happened to be the style (laughs) of the times true and i think i read somewhere that um paul was like yeah i wasn't wearing shoes because it was hot so i don't know you know but people think that is an interesting fact not only that though there's a volkswagen beetle parked behind them in the photo and it has a license plate that reads 28 if which has led many people to believe that it's a nod to the fact that paul would have been 28 when it was released if he hadn't died i think i don't know if this is a movie or something but i thought that i saw one time that like that car that was in the back of their picture It was like someone driving by, like someone parked there. And then the guy who owned it, like later on was like, look, I'm in the back of the Beatles album or something. (laughs) I have no idea, but like could very well be the case. (laughs) Um, So yeah, as you can tell, there are a lot of theories. Like also in the Abbey Road picture, Paul is holding a cigarette in his right hand, but he was left-handed. So, you know, that threw people off, obviously. And I could definitely keep this up for like the entire episode, like even if Olivia hadn't talked, (laughs) so I won't. But I really encourage you to go look into more of the weird coincidences and conspiracies because it's kind of crazy, especially if you actually get a chance to look at it and listen to it all. Um, But here's the thing. In my research, I also came across two articles that kind of contradict each other. Mm. And here's the problem though. They're on kind of random sites, so I don't totally know which one is reality if 
either. Um, and I think one of them would have gotten a lot more coverage if it actually happened. So everything I say after this point and most of what I said before this point is <laughs> certainly not confirmed, uh, but just keep that in mind. But apparently this is, here's the thing. I heard nothing about this and it was even kind of hard to find an article about this. So I'm, I don't know if it's real, but apparently Ringo Starr admitted that Paul died and that they all like panicked. So they left clues because they wanted their fans to know the truth. And this was apparently in 2015 and he said he didn't want to take the secret to his grave. So that was why he was like telling it now because he was the last like actually living member of the original band. But again, I found this on like a super random site that was like linked from a Pinterest post. (laughs) So I don't know if this actually happened or if someone made it up. And I did find two articles about it, but they were like exactly the same verbatim. Mm -hmm. So, you know, like someone copied and pasted it from one article and made their own. So I don't know how true any of this is, but I thought it was kind of interesting. I definitely Um, do agree that if that was real, like it would be at at least some other sources. Right. Wouldn't you think? So unless like the government buried it all, I don't know. Well, at least it's on this podcast now. Can't get us (laughs) from here. Can't censor us. (laughs) Um, The other article I found, which I also think probably would have gotten more coverage, said that Paul admitted that they planned the death hoax to sell more albums. And their, like, producer man was worried that people wouldn't like their new sound, their new vibe. So, as, like, a failsafe, in case he was right, um, they planted all these clues so that people would still buy the albums to try to find them. Like, kind of like how you mentioned, like, a huge marketing scam. That's what I believe. Um, Yeah, and some people, like, even would buy the albums twice because they would ruin their first ones by playing it backwards. So, it's definitely, like, they, if this... This seems kind of most logical to me because, like, (laughs) they got so much revenue out of it. Mm -hmm. And people to this day are still talking about it, like me. So, (laughs) yeah. Um, According to this maybe real interview, Paul said that placing the clues was, like, the most fun part of creating an album because they really just got to, like, run wild with it. Like, everything they did was, like, just kind of crazy. And, like all those things that i mentioned they had to think up plan place like and very think creative of all the like crazy random super far-fetched clues that could be in there that just no one mm-hmm. saw yet because yeah because if they're all like super weird and abstract then there's no way to know exactly and maybe these are just secrets that the beatles the last two maybe one living beetles will carry you to their grave all these little things that they planted and in 50 years maybe we'll have found some more who's to say but uh yeah i spent the day very immersed in this as i already said and i actually hadn't like read it over until i just shared it with all of you so i hope i did it justice i hope it captured your interest um but it's definitely an interesting story and you should absolutely google it And actually, like, look at it because it's very interesting when you, like, see all the pieces fall into place. Yeah. That's a really fun one. I had never heard that conspiracy before. I don't know how, but... I feel like it should have been... I mean, I guess when in my life would it have been, like, in the news? Never. But But there's so many good Hollywood and, like, celebrity conspiracies that Mm -hmm. that one just... It sounds so... Okay, something about it being from the 70s does make it feel more like realistic right i don't know why 
I feel like it's like... Or 60s and 70s. Yeah, late 60s, early 70s. I don't know. It seems to me... Like, I, I feel inclined to believe it just because, like, what wasn't going on in that time, you know? Mm-hmm. But, like, it definitely is smart marketing. So, it's kind of like, do you want to believe the crazier story or do you want to believe the probably realistic story, you know? You know, you can do that with anything. Do you want to believe that Dan White ate 100 Twinkies and went to a sugar craze? Or do I believe that he's a bad guy? I'm going with the Twinkies, and I'm also going that Paul is dead. Yeah. So, you know, that's just... But that's the thing. If Paul is dead, then this dude, Billy, has been portraying Paul since 1966. What? How lucky, though. Like, you're just this regular guy who happens to look like someone else, and then you get their entire career, fame, fortune, Mm -hmm. like, everything. One of the interesting things that I didn't mention was that apparently Paul was like dating this model before his supposed death. And then right when Billy like came into the picture, supposedly, he like settled down with this like different woman and had a family. So people are like, why would Paul just like switch it up on his dating life? So, you know, Mm. it was maybe Billy was just like reaping the benefits of Paul's success and just decided to make his own choices but yeah but I if know. i was like some regular guy and then all of a sudden you're like the biggest superstar in the world i feel like he wouldn't be like all right now it's time to settle down like he would be like <laughs> that's kind of true models everywhere <laughs> that is kind of true so excellent point thank you for bringing that up <laughs> <laughs> this was such a fun story i really liked it this is funny it's kind of like like it's not but it kind of feels like a more lighthearted episode because there yeah. was just like like twinkies the beatles like if you if i titled this twinkies and the beatles people would be like oh my gosh did they like change the theme <laughs> of their podcast like <laughs> i know i mean we did sprinkle murder into both of our stories but true like in a fun way exactly mm, <laughs> that's what this podcast of. is all about <laughs> yeah Ooh, anyways <laughs> yep well we were under an hour today which is that's big stuff for us big news yeah that's exa- oh my god okay my mom emailed me today <gasps> what'd she say so she's so behind like she still oh, is no. always like oh I, I listened to your salem witch trial one and i was like <laughs> oh great episode three um that's so okay she texted me today she's like oh my god i can't believe you like told everyone on air that i complained that your podcast was too long <laughs> and i was like you complain every time like <laughs> oh my god and then she was like talking about um i think she just listened to the george washington one oh, and yeah. she said that it was interesting that you and i both didn't learn that side of history in school because she said when she was in school they did learn that stuff so it changed she is in this she grew up in the same school district that i went to it was like a different school but it was the same town and everything yeah so Hmm. weird and then interesting i this is so off topic but i was talking to my boyfriend's uncle's fiance and she grew <laughs> she grew up in Georgia and she we were she was telling something like oh did you guys know that like this happened in history and we're like yeah and she's like we never learned about this part of the civil war we never learned about like 
anything like that. And I told her the George Washington story. She's like, I had no idea. Like she said that they learned that the civil war was, um, based on states rights and like state, uh, it was a state war and Um, they didn't learn anything about the abolition of slavery involved in that. And I was like, it's "Mm." so bizarre how history is like rewritten to fit like the narrative of the time, you know? Yeah. Like that's messed up actually. Like if you can, if you can cover up the civil war, I feel like you could easily cover up Paul McCartney's death. So just putting that into perspective. Truth. That is so very (laughs) true. So think about that. Ponder that on your own time. (laughs) Oh man. All right. Well, thank you guys so much for listening today. Um, I hope you enjoyed this lighter, sweeter episode. Um, and if you want to try out our cute new filters, maybe by the time, the time this is out, maybe by the time you're listening, there'll be two, but for now, hopefully for sure one, it's super cute. It's the rose from our logo that Katie also designed with, um, a little spooky flair to it. Oh yeah. And, uh, yeah. Take your selfies, tag us, send us a pic, whatever you want to do. Maybe get featured. Please do. And again, we're at Deviant Little Darlings. You can do hashtag DLD. Sometimes I do check that one just in case. <laughs> um, and yeah, give us a shout. Give us a follow. You can also email us at DeviantLittleDarlings at gmail.com. So that it's not just my mom complaining in our inbox. <laughs> Thanks, mom. <laughs> yeah. And um, you can always listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Breaker, Google Podcasts, Overcast, Pocket Casts, Radio Public, Spotify, and anchor.fm slash DeviantLittleDarlings. Um, and we'd love to hear from you. Please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. Yes. Download us where you can. And yeah. All right. Have a great weekend, guys. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. Bye.